20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Welcome to another edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast. I am your host, Jacob Westendorf, and Zach Jacobson is with me. We are reunited. It's the first time we've done this show together in a while. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say that. We have a dark episode that uh, has not aired and will not air because the internet at the hotel I was staying at sucks and will forever suck. So we don't need to talk about that. We're here now, and it is Sunday morning. Conference Championship Sunday, Chiefs-Patriots, Saints-Rams. Join with me as always, like I said, is Zach Jacobson. Zach, real quick before we get into the Packers stuff, who's going to win today? Look, okay, I went into January saying that it was going to be a Chargers-Saints Super Bowl, and I still have a chance to be 50% right. So I'm going to ride with the Saints against the hometown Los Angeles Rams. Well, hometown for me at least. Um, and I don't see the Patriots going into Arrowhead Stadium and winning. So I think it's going to be Chiefs and Saints, and there will be points of plenty. That's what I'm rooting for. Well, I don't care who wins the NFC Championship game personally. Uh, I do care who wins the AFC Championship game. I want the Chiefs to win that game because who likes the Patriots, let's be honest, at this point. Their run is admirable. Their dominance is admirable. But, damn it, it's annoying, and I envy the hell out of it. So, I am rooting for the Chiefs, but I do think the Patriots are going to win that game. I can't bet against Brady and Belichick, and that's that's where we're at with that right now. But that's not what we're here to talk about. What we are here to talk about is the Green Bay Packers, whose season ended about three weeks ago. They have a new head coach. Matt LaFleur has been hired. Mike McCarthy out. Matt LaFleur in. Mike Pettin has returned. The Packers have... A, a job in front of them as far as filling out their staff. A few things uh, to just kind of some housekeeping items here. As of right now, the Packers are looking to interview Frank Pollock, the offensive line, well, former offensive line coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, and Darren Rizzi of the Miami Dolphins is interviewed to be the special teams coordinator. The Dolphins want to keep him, but it's possible that Green Bay could snipe him away. Highly respected coach, and I mean, anybody's an upgrade over Ron Zook at this point. So, Zach, any thoughts real quick on those two particular bits of information? Well, uh, Frank Pollock, you know, he he has the history of working with the offensive line, and I think, you know, bringing in anybody who has any sense of history, uh, you know, with that kind of background, 
I think that's going to be big. And, you know, Matt LaFleur is obviously, you know, like you said, he's building his own staff. He's kind of working from the ground up. And he's actually familiar with LaFleur when uh, he and LaFleur were with Houston Texans in 2008-2009. Uh, and Pollock was an assistant offensive line coach. And I believe uh, LaFleur was the quarterback's coach at the time. Not totally sure, but... Uh, I definitely think you know he'd be an interesting hire to bring on board. There's that familiarity aspect that we talk about all the time. And as far as Luke Getze goes, I think that would be a hell of a hire. And I think like you and I talked about a little bit before the show. I mean, you know, why why would he leave the job that he has right now to come back to his former job? You know, <laughs> he was there in, in for two seasons while Devontae Adams kind of broke onto the scene, had two of his most productive years prior to 2018, and. Uh, you know, he's only 34 years old, so he's kind of sticking to that young mold that LaFleur and that whole staff is kind of replicating, you know, considering what the blueprint across the league is. Um, you know, it, it would be it'd be a little surprising if he left Mississippi State. You know, you and I did talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't mention Luke Getzey in the little uh, bit there. But, yeah, that's, that's good to bring up as well. He is – the Packers are interested in bringing him back. Uh, you kind of mentioned his credentials there. That's somebody who – Devontae Adams has pointed to as somebody that was instrumental in his development. Obviously, Devontae Adams is a top-five receiver in the NFL. Credit Zach Jacobson for that one. Vikings fans, at the hell out of him. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with these things just because I know that a lot of people are kind of, like, clenching their fists or there's a lot of hand-wringing going on about the departures of James Camp and the offensive line coach who's now in Cleveland and Joe Witt, who is also in Cleveland, uh, was the passing game coordinator. The Packers terminated his contract, and they allowed Campen to go elsewhere. Um, I I am just okay Wait, with so that. so you didn't mention Getzey? I did not, but you did for me, so that's why uh, that's why I have you. We're partners, Ooh. so you kind of jumped the gun there. But that's a little <laughs> bit – that's okay. We're off to a boom and start here. Hey, it's been a couple weeks. We're shaking off some of the rust. It's like the preseason all over again for us, and that's fine. Um, as for these coaches, like I mentioned, those guys are elsewhere. I'm okay with that because – Nothing against those guys. I'm, I mean, I know they're good coaches. I've seen their work here in Green Bay. Uh, Joe Witt's a popular name around here, and uh, so is James Campen, for that matter. But, you know, you're hiring a new head coach. It's okay to get other guys in there. Now, sometimes it works out that, you know, like Mike McCarthy kept Joe Philbin when he came here from Mike Sherman's staff, and that worked out okay. Joe Philbin was a pretty good coach here in Green Bay for a long period of time. But if you're hiring a new coach, uh, it's time for a new start. So, we're going to move into our kind of main discussion point for this show, and we're kind of doing a performance series, a recap series, and we have the pleasure of recapping the first season of new general manager Brian Gutekunst. And for those of you that live under a rock, uh, the Packers got a new general manager last year uh, around Wild Card Weekend. The game, or actually the hire was announced during, I'll never forget, was the was during the Jaguars and Bills game. It was one of the worst playoff games I've ever watched. And that's when the announcement came that Brian Gutekunst was going to be the next general manager. He took the reins and kind of immediately started putting his stamp on this Packers team. His first big move, we're just going to kind of go through all of them. And his first big move was trading former first-round pick Demarius Randall to the Cleveland Browns. They flipped draft position with the Browns in the fourth and the fifth round. So they moved from their pick to the first pick of those respective rounds and got Deshaun Kaiser back in the process. Now, Zach, this is something that has garnered a lot of conversation because Demarius Randall had a pretty good year 
at free safety in uh, Cleveland where he ended up. Here's my thing. Trading Demarius Randall was still 100% the correct move to make. Now, why is because Demarius Randall had clearly worn out his welcome in the Packers locker room. Um, Last season, he was benched and banished to the locker room during the Thursday night affair against the Chicago Bears. And Mike McCarthy basically said, we're going to keep it internal. Well, after the season ended, Rob Domofsky reported that the Packers veteran council leadership count, whatever you want to call it, basically they're veteran players. Now, if you want to glean some information from that, that means guys like Jordy Nelson, Aaron Rodgers, Randall Cobb, Clay Matthews, etc., all the way down the line, they wanted the Packers to release him right then and there. They didn't do that. And it was clear at the end of the season that McCarthy was not happy with him either. He basically said Demarius Randall needs to clean up his own house, and he had a chance to do that in Cleveland. Where you can take issue with this, in my opinion, is who they acquired for him because... Flipping in draft position, that's clearly a pick that they they covet, that first pick of the fourth round, first pick of day three, because they've acquired it each of the last two years. That's fine. Um, trading a contributor, somebody who could contribute this year, in Demarius Randall, for Deshaun Kaiser, who, if we're being honest, if the Packers really wanted Deshaun Kaiser, they could have traded a conditional sixth-round pick or something like that and gotten him. The Packers traded Brett Hundley, which we'll get to here in a little bit, earlier this year for a sixth-round pick from the Seahawks. That's the issue I have, is you traded Demarius Randall and got somebody that you hope never plays. Because, with all due respect to Deshaun Kaiser, the only time I want to see him on the field is during a blowout in which the Packers are kneeling down or trying to run out the clock. So, that's where I want to start. Zach, as I mentioned, a lot of conversation on this topic are you still okay with the fact that they traded Demarius Randall, or do you think they should have kept him around? I mean, let's face it. The Packers are probably going to never play him in his natural position anymore. He was going to remain as a cornerback in Green Bay, and he was probably going to continue to have his fair share of struggles. Now, to be fair, after that benching against the Bears on Thursday night in 2017, that Week 4 game, he responded well. I know he had, he had, I believe, a pick six uh, in you know in Dallas the week a week later. But he, he followed that game up with, I believe, it was like ten games of his finest play of his career. So it, it was a head scratcher at first, you know, after how well he played. But you know, those reports came out that he was, you know, this isn't a quote or anything, but he was a locker room cancer, and you know, guys weren't comfortable with him there. They want, kind of wanted him out. They voted him out, basically. They voted him off the island. And that was the result of it. It doesn't matter how, how good you are, what your potential is, what your ceiling is. If you're a problem in that locker room and you're playing in Green Bay, that tight-knit community of players, coaches, fans who are so closely connected with the team, that's a bad look. You know, So shipping off Randall, if you can get any form of capital for that, it was similar to the, the, the Ty Montgomery trade or the Holland Clinton Dix trade this year, the fact that they can get any compensation for Holland Clinton Dix, despite how the safety market has looked, and they're ridding away with someone who has been somewhat of a headache for them, or in Tom Montgomery's case, they were able to get, you know, even the most minuscule form of draft capital in that seventh-round pick, when you do it, you do it. And, you know, it's a player that you're going to get rid of anyway, most likely. So 
with the Marius Randall effect, they were able to get a backup quarterback who, at this point, I don't think there's any way we can truly judge. We have those, really those those three quarters during the regular season in which Rodgers got hurt last uh, during the season a few weeks ago. We have really that just to base him off of in Green Bay. You know, he came from a toxic situation in Cleveland. He's now working on, a, you know, a team with one of the best quarterbacks in professional football uh, in his corner. So I think in a little more time, we could probably truly judge that. But right now, it's maybe jumping the gun a little bit. Because, you know, they did they did just want a backup quarterback. They wanted a serviceable backup quarterback that wasn't named Brett Humber. Because we know what he was. We know what he brought to the table. And they wanted to just turn the, turn the page from it. They wanted to move on, get someone more valuable with a higher ceiling in Kaiser. And I know you, of all people, you know, you, you, you like Deshaun Kaiser. I do. I did. I guess I can't say that I still do. I don't know what he is. Um, I think it's unfair to judge him on either of his first two seasons just because, like you mentioned, it's different where you prepare the entire week to be the starter as opposed to just being thrown in there, which is what happened to Kaiser both times he played this year. He came in the game against Detroit late in the year because Rodgers left with a concussion, a game that he never should have played in, but that's a separate topic. And then week one against the Bears when people thought Rodgers had blown his knee out. It's not a fair situation to him. Uh, I, I agree with you. The other thing about Hundley was he was in a contract year. They weren't going to re-sign him, and I think that was pretty clear at that point as well. So, uh, as far as that trade goes, I think you know I think it's fair to say it's fair to say on any of these moves, honestly, that the jury is still out because a lot has to happen yet. I mean, there's a lot of football left to be played for some of these guys, but in general, I think if you're going to criticize the trade, that's fine. Uh, I don't think trading Demarius Randall in itself was a bad decision, but I do think that trading him for, again, even if Kaiser is a great backup, you're still trading him for a player you hope never gets on the field. So that was his first big move. The next kind of series here, I'm going to go through a list real quick here. Here's the guys he added and guys he subtracted. So Gutekunst added Jimmy Graham, Muhammad Wilkerson, Tremont Williams, Bashad Breland, Mercedes Lewis, and then Byron Bell in the offseason. And then he had a first-round pick that he got when he traded out of the 14th overall pick and Jair Alexander. Guys he let walk or released were Jordy Nelson, Morgan Burnett, and Jari Evans was not brought back. Uh, you mentioned some guys that he, uh, some moves he made in season, and we'll get to those here in a little bit because the offseason and in season moves, I think, are something that need to be discussed because it was very anti Ted Thompson the way that Gutekunst operated during the season. So we'll get to that in a little bit. The big one that everyone's going to talk about is essentially it was viewed as a one for one swap that the Packers traded essentially Jimmy Graham or Jordy Nelson for Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham didn't live up to expectations. Uh, Jordy Nelson had a couple moments in Oakland, uh, and it probably would have gone altogether different had he played in Green Bay, a place he was familiar with, a quarterback he was familiar with, all the way down the line. That all makes sense. Zach, at the end of the day, though, during the offseason, it was pretty well established that the Packers were going to have to keep one between Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb. My question to you is, did they keep the right one? They kept Randall Cobb, obviously, instead of Jordy Nelson. Was that the correct decision? And then we'll get into Jimmy Graham. It's easy to say this in hindsight, really, but no, I don't think they did. 
just because, you know, Cobb, he was hurt all year. He was battling those injuries. And, yeah, Aaron Rodgers trusts him. He knows how to play within the offense. And he he's Rodgers' security blanket that isn't a tight end. But I think if Jordy Nelson was still in Green Bay, he would have he would have drastically improved what they were trying to do in the red zone just because, you know, he, he, he's been that red zone threat for the last two years. And Rodgers trusts him. He's familiar with him. And, you know, whenever Rodgers is escaping out of the pocket, Jordy Nelson is a safety valve. We saw that multiple times in 2016. We saw it multiple times in 2017, even when Nelson was very obviously declining in his play. And he was, you know, it seemed like he was getting older, which kind of fueled the Packers' incentive to kind of, you know, let, let him walk. But, you know, the fact that he was even able to kind of put up even the fragment of numbers that he did in in Oakland, you know, they were nothing spectacular, nothing jumped off the page, obviously, but, you know, that was with Derek Carr. That was just in his first year, a completely unfamiliar system, you know, a bunch of new guys, new surroundings, everything. But if he was still in Green Bay and he still had Aaron Rodgers, he would probably, you know, I'm putting this out there, he probably would be sniffing double-digit touchdowns just because of how much of a factor he was in the red zone. You know, Rodgers finished with 25 touchdowns. That That's his lowest in his starting career. You know, so it, it didn't help that he had you know a couple a couple rookies out there, and Cobb hampered for most of the season, and Geronimo Allison ended up on injured reserve. If you had Nelson out there, he more than likely would have stayed healthy, and he probably would have improved everything they were trying to do with the red zone. So that's my spin on it. And I, you know, and everybody knows like I'm I'm a huge defender of Randall Cobb. Like I love Randall Cobb. You know, I I have argued to the moon and back about his contract and whether or not he's overpaid and how it's, you know, it's something people should worry about, but, you know, I, I don't think they made the right move there. I do agree with that sense of whether or not he's overpaid and why they shouldn't worry about it. Randall Cobb got a contract that was fair market value when he became a free agent. Sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. Uh, but as far as his contract goes, I mean, I don't think anybody, you can't predict injuries, that's something else altogether because Cobb has been banged up almost his entire time since he signed that contract. But you can't predict those, and he was an elite. He was the best slot receiver in football when he signed that contract, coming off a great year. To answer that question on did they keep the right guy, I know why they kept Cobb. He was the younger player, uh, the faster player, the more athletic player. I just think that Jordy Nelson has the that symbiotic relationship that you were talking about that he has with the quarterback was something that they, frankly, in my opinion, undervalued because I think that, like you mentioned, that's something they could have figured out during the year because Jordy Nelson, one, he's a bigger player from a physical standpoint, which, again, I just said you can't predict injuries, but... He has a better chance of staying healthy than Randall Cobb just because he's not getting drilled by players much larger than him. Cobb is. Cobb's a, Cobb's a little fella. You know, I mean, I, I kind of say that like I'm joking, but Cobb's a smaller guy, um, and I think that Nelson showed enough last year to where he still could have been effective. I mean, considering we're talking about the Mike McCarthy offense, had they done things the same way like they always did, if you have Jordy Nelson in the slot, with Jimmy Graham in the slot, because I imagine they still would have signed Graham, is you can still move Allison and Adams on the outside. And I think that offense is better suited for some things 
than what they ended up doing with Randall Cobb. So it's unfortunate. I mean, it's that wasn't going to make the difference between the Packers being six nine and one like they finished and eleven and five and potential Super Bowl contenders. Let's get that out of the way right now. But I do think that Nelson would have been a good mentor, and not that Cobb wasn't, but just kind of showing some ins and outs of you know how to run this offense, how to be a professional, all those sorts of things. Let's talk Jimmy Graham now because that's Jimmy Graham, I believe, is more hated in Green Bay, and hated may not be the correct term, so forgive me for that. But there's more of a spotlight on him because he did replace a fan favorite. And that's completely fair to say, in my opinion. I mean, Jordy Nelson is one of my favorite players in the history of the Green Bay Packers, of my fandom, and I'm 27 years old. So that doesn't range that far back. But still, Jordy's one of those guys who, I mean, I'm saying I'm calling him by his first name. He's one of those guys who just kind of endeared himself to the fan base. That's what we call him. He's Jordy. He's not Nelson or anything like that. It's Jordy. So Graham's season this year was always going to come under the spotlight. He's a big name, and the production simply does not match his name brand or his salary. Now, I will give him some credit because he did play through a broken thumb for much of the end of the season. Now, should the Packers have allowed him to do that because it was clearly affecting his ability to be effective? No, they should have told him, hey, we appreciate what you're trying to do. And me as a fan, I appreciate what you're trying to do. But quite frankly, you're not as effective with with a broken thumb. Who, I mean, how the hell can a pass catcher be <laughs> effective with a broken thumb? That's that's like the biggest part of his job. You know, it's like asking a running back to be effective with a broken foot. It's the same concept there. Um, but not the greatest year for Jimmy Graham. Zach, there was a lot of skepticism when they signed him. Ultimately, here's what I want to ask before we move on. Does Jimmy Graham have a second year in Green Bay? Yeah, I think he does. And, you know, you and I talked about it before the show. He, I don't think they used that, that post-June first cut on him just because they would go into the season with literally Robert Tunyon as their starting tight end. Depending on whether or not they draft the guy or who they sign a free agency, it's going to be an empty cover there. And, you know, they need kind of all the help at that position they can get right now. And I think, I, you know, look, he's not playing in Mike McCarthy's offense anymore. He's going to be playing under Matt LaFleur. He doesn't, he doesn't have to worry or, you know, because I know Mercedes Lewis was publicly kind of slamming the whole McCarthy, the McCarthy's offense and how it was just terrible for tight ends. And it was just, you know, a total, a total disaster if you're playing that position. So, I think if you bring Graham back and you get someone like LaFleur who knows how to use this tight end, as he did it in Tennessee, you bring someone like that, and I think Jimmy Graham can have a good year. And, you know, hopefully a better year than what he had in 20, uh, 2018, obviously. You know, like you said, too, about his broken thumb, he never should have even been out there in the first place. And it blew my mind on a weekly basis that they continuously strut him out onto the field with, with that bulbous cast around his thumb area and expected him to catch the freaking football. just and, and better yet, one of them was like, I, I think it was a game-winning touchdown it might have been in Chicago that they were trying to, was trying to connect with, or it was late in the game, trying to get back in the game. But
Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, Graham's got a a long way to go here. I think that you know, obviously his salary is going to be an issue with some people. The Packers may ask him to take a pay cut, which Graham may or may not be open to. Uh, I am of the opinion that no player should ever take a pay cut. It's not Jimmy Graham's fault that the Packers gave him that contract. But if they ask him for one, here's kind of the reality of it. Robert Tanyan is the only tight end on the Packers under contract. And with all due respect to Andy Herman, uh, that's not all that comforting. Even if they use a first-round pick on somebody like Noah Fant or TJ Hawkinson from Iowa, or the kid from Alabama, or, you know, somebody has a high draft pedigree. You can't you can't go into the season with essentially, I mean, Robert Tanyan is essentially a redshirt sophomore, if you want to use college terms. And this guy, the, the draft pick they have would be a true freshman, if you want to use college terms. So that's where it gets a little difficult. That's why I think Graham is back. Uh, and we'll see if he can do some better things with a healthy season, another year of playing with Aaron Rodgers in a different offense, Matt LaFleur's offense instead of Mike McCarthy's, all that sort of stuff. That remains to be seen. I won't be like shock and awe if they cut him. It's just I don't think that they will. I'm with you on that one. The other guys were kind of smaller. Muhammad Wilkerson, uh, I don't think it's fair to say anything about that signing just because he played two games and then his ankle exploded. Uh, it's, I mean, to have any take on that whatsoever is poor, what, good or bad, doesn't matter. He played two games. It's not fair to say anything on that. Uh, Mercedes Lewis, that signing turned into a bust. Uh, but, I mean, it's a one-year deal where minimal money, he couldn't get on the field, and you can argue whether that's the coach's fault or whatever. But Mercedes Lewis didn't really do a whole lot Ugh. this year in Green Bay. Byron Bell was a disaster. Uh, I think... Byron Bell's mom might be the only one that doesn't agree with that. With all due respect to his mother, I'm sure she's a lovely woman. But it's just he wasn't any good. And that's the reality of the situation at right guard, which we'll talk to here in a little bit. Really, honestly, Zach, his best signing, Gutekunst's best signing, his move of the offseason actually might have come in season. And that is when he signed Bashad Breland. Breland was a guy who got a big contract from Carolina and then kind of a weird story, but he hurt his foot on a golf cart. And then that injury got infected, and the the Panthers essentially voided his contract. So the Packers got him for almost no money whatsoever. This is a guy, to me, I think needs to be back if they can get him for something reasonable. Now, I'm not saying you need to give him $10 million a season, but if you can give him that three-year deal for $24 million, which is the exact deal he got in Carolina last year, I would sign up for that. The Packers aren't spending any money in their secondary and I think if there's anything we've learned in the last three seasons is you can never have enough quality cover corners because when you don't, that's how you end up with Ladarius Gunter covering Julio Jones in the NFC Championship game. With all due respect to Ladarius Gunter, I blame that situation entirely on Ted Thompson, who was great for a really long time, but he set Ladarius Gunter up to fail because he completely ignored the cornerback position during the season. If there's something that I think is really positive, about Brian Gutekunst is his willingness to be active with that roster in season instead of, guys, I can promise you this. If Ted Thompson was still the general manager, we would be talking about Haha Clinton Dix still being on the team, Ty Montgomery still would have been on the team, 
and we would have been talking about how Tony Brown was receiving significant, which he kind of did anyways, but significant snaps and probably another undrafted free agent similar to like Herb Waters or somebody like that that they pulled up from the practice squad when the Packers had those injuries at cornerback. But let's talk about Breland specifically, Zach. Don't you think that that is a sign, if nothing else, of the changing of the guard in Green Bay? Because, again, that was an in-season signing, something that the Packers haven't done in, oh, God, when did Ted Thompson take over? I mean, 2005? It's been a really long time since they've done something like that. Is that the most encouraging thing for you about Brian Gutekunst, that he was able and willing and I'm not even talking about – there's something else I forgot to even bring up. They placed a waiver claim in on DJ Swearinger to play safety. Uh, it, the waiver claim failed because they were further down the waiver wire. But moves like that, is that something that encourages you in the future that we won't see guys like Ladarius Gunter getting significant snaps like that? Is that something that excites you for the future with Brian Gutekunst? Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's 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 crazy to talk about because, you know, like you mentioned, he was the shop really was that in season signing that they brought on, and yeah, it was crazy how that happened. It seemed like a, a weird twist of fate that he ended up in Green Bay. He had that whole foot injury, the whole failed physical with the Panthers, and he ended up in Green Bay. Budukus recognized the deficiency on his team, and he addressed it, which. It's something that, you know, we're not exactly used to during the season. You know, it's always a guy getting elevated from the practice squad or a guy like Dimitri Goodson coming in and playing snaps. Oh, you know, my it's, God. You know, when, when his best asset was playing on special teams as a gunner. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I said, it's just that in-season signing may end up being the only priority re-sign after the season. He might be the only guy worth retaining and worth re-signing. Everyone else kind of really, you know, at this point, seems like they may get chucked out the window and be allowed to test free agency. It's, it's, Bashad really, he came in, he finished with more interceptions than any, any of the team's quarterbacks on the roster. You know, not that, you know, as a secondary, they didn't have very many, but still, you know, that's impressive. And I think two of them came within four games, within his first four games. So, you know, when you can sign someone like that during the season who has just that natural ability to come in and, you know, be plugged into the system and immediately contribute the way he did. That's that's a gem. That's a diamond in the rough that Goodman's found, and he pounced on it. And I like that you mentioned too the the waiver claim on Swearinger. You know, another another example of Goodman's and, and whoever else involved in that decision. They recognized the deficiency on their roster, and that was a deficiency that plagued this team all year long. The safety position, and they tried to do something about it. It would have been that would have been insane. They they. Trade Clinton Dix to the Redskins, and then they take away Swearinger from the Redskins. That would have been perfect. Yeah, I would have laughed a little bit if that uh, came to fruition. It didn't. Swearinger's in Arizona. He'll be a Cardinal. Um, with Breland specifically, yeah, I think you're right. He's the only priority re-signed for Green Bay right now. Jair Alexander says he wants him back. Breland has said the Packers will have first dibs on him, so he clearly enjoyed his time here in Green Bay as well. Yeah. I think that's something Green Bay should look at, and they can get a little creative with that too. Breland has some experience at safety. Tremont Williams is probably going to play safety next season. That was somebody else. It was a solid signing. I don't think it was like this great, oh, my God, how awesome signing. It was cool to have Tremont Williams back, but you know, no splash plays or anything like that from him. Just a solid overall player. 
kind of solidified the safety spot a little bit when they moved him back there. Not a lot, but a little bit. And it'll be interesting to see how Green Bay plays with their free agents uh, during the year. Other guys they let walk, Morgan Burnett and Jari Evans. Jari Evans was brought up a ton during the season because the Packers' guard position, well, frankly, sucked, uh, especially on the right side, which is where Evans started all of last year. Evans didn't play this year. I think that it's clear that either the NFL teams know that he's done or uh, that he didn't want to play. So I don't I don't think there's a whole lot of hand-wringing to be had over Jari Evans. Morgan Burnett, I don't know how much he changes the outcome here in Green Bay. Uh, Morgan Burnett's always been a nice, solid, kind of underrated player, unsung hero kind of stuff. But, again, I don't know how much he changes. They let him walk hoping for a jump from Josh Jones, from Kentrell Bryce, which, yuck. But you get the point. They were looking for some of the young guys, so I understand why they did that. I think what really sticks out to me as the biggest difference here for Brian Gutekunst is in his introductory press conference is he said, we want to be in every conversation. Whether or not we pull the trigger is another story on those conversations. But I think that there's some definite validity to those things because the Packers were rumored to be in on guys like Tremaine Johnson, who thank God they didn't sign him, but they were in on that conversation. They were in on a conversation with Allen Robinson. They reached out to Sammy Watkins. They were in on the trade for Khalil Mack. And had the Raiders not been completely incompetent and pretty much ruled everybody out, it's very possible that Gutekunst could have gotten Khalil Mack. That's another topic for another day. Uh, I know that certain Bears fans will talk about how you know Gutekunst was taken to the woodshed, quote-unquote, by Ryan Pace four separate times this offseason. Let me address that right now. Khalil Mack, first of all. The Raiders pretty much said they thought that they eliminated every team that they thought was going to be good. So any team that has Aaron Rodgers on it is going to be eliminated from any conversation of anybody they thought wasn't going to be good. They turned out wrong. That's a separate story. The Rams were eliminated from that story. They pretty much honed in on the Bears. That's how the Bears got him. It wasn't this magician-like stuff from Ryan Pace. So there's that. Allen Robinson chose Chicago over Green Bay. Uh... Chose Mitchell Trubisky over Aaron Rodgers. I would uh, question his his thought process on that. That's what he did. Kyle Fuller, that wasn't taking Gutekunst to the woodshed. Gutekunst did the contract for him, essentially. Ryan Pace just matched it. Uh, and the other one was Vic Fangio, which is what they bring up. Vic Fangio never interviewed in Green Bay. Uh, they interviewed Mike Patton, and he, they hired Mike Patton. So... I don't know. That's just stupid rivalry stuff, and I I don't have a lot of patience for dumb people, and I'm really tired of that stupid narrative that Ryan Pace dominated Brian Gutekunst this offseason because that's just not true. However, that does go into this offseason because we mentioned the draft class. He got that first-round pick for Jair Alexander. Zach, you and I agreed before the show we're not going to talk about how they could have drafted Derwin James because, uh, quite frankly, that's ridiculous. It kind of acts like that Jair Alexander isn't a really good player too, and he is. His ability to play inside and outside is going to be more valuable to this defense if he reaches his ceiling than if Derwin James reaches his. Derwin James is a fantastic player. The reality is cornerback is more valuable than safety. Positional value. Every NFL team will agree with me if I say that. That's where we're at with that. But that sets up for this offseason. It is the biggest offseason in Green Bay, in my opinion, since either the summer of Brett Favre or 
the year after Aaron Rodgers became the starting quarterback, and they ended up drafting B.J. Raji and Clay Matthews in the same offseason. Zach, the Packers need to be in on those conversations. They need to hit a home run in this draft, which brings me to last year's draft. I mentioned you've got guys like Jair Alexander, <laughs> was a not a front runner or anything like that, but in a conversation for a while for rookie of the year. Josh Jackson had his struggles. He also flashed some good things. Oren Burks didn't really end up doing a whole lot, which was kind of disappointing. Jamon Moore, same thing. It was kind of a weird year for the draft class because the rookie wide receivers were asked to do a lot more things than they probably anticipated they were going to ask of them in their first year. My biggest thing this offseason with Gutekunst is I think he knew when he took over this roster, and you could see in his actions, that he thought it was a bit of a project to get some more talent on this team. How confident are you at this point in his ability to, you look at the Packers' holes. I mean, they're, they're there. They have holes at edge rusher. They have holes at wide receiver, tight end. They could probably use another running back. They could probably use another offensive guard. They could definitely use a free safety. How confident are you that Brian Gutekunst will fill maybe not all of those holes because I don't know if that's possible, but he, it, how confident are you he's the right man for this position because the other conversation that comes up is they hired Gutekunst over guys like Elliot Wolf and Russ Ball, which is another topic of conversation because there's a lot of theory that Russ Ball was going to be the pick for general manager and that McCarthy was going to quit and Aaron Rodgers wasn't happy, so Murphy pivoted and hired Gutekunst instead. That's a separate story, but you can give me your thoughts on that if you'd like. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, how confident are you that Gutekunst is the guy to get this roster back to championship contender? I mean, it's it's a lot easier when you already have the quarterback in place. You know, as opposed to teams that they don't have a quarterback, they have all kinds of roster holes to fill. And they, you know, they don't know where to go from there, and they got to kind of utilize the draft. They got to utilize free agency, and they got to hit 100% on everything they do. As most of the Packers, you know, they have talented players across the board. They have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. And they're going to have over $40 million to play with in free agency. I'm expecting 44 or $45 million, I think the number was. They're going to have a lot of dough to dish out in the free agency to any guys they like. They could fill, they could fill guard in free agency. They could sign a safety in free agency. Or maybe somehow pull off a trade for someone that they really like. Whatever they choose to do. But... Free agency is going to be available, and I fully expect them to utilize that avenue because, like you said, and like Brian Goodkins has referenced before, he wants to be in on every conversation, and he has to this point. Every conversation that obviously has tickled the fancy a little bit, obviously not every conversation, but you know they're involved. They're talking to teams, and these discussions during the year they are ongoing constantly. And Goodkins has said that before; they're they're constantly talking to other teams, so. I don't expect that to be any different going into the spring. But, you know, you, you talk about last year's draft class, and really with, with Jair Alexander, if the Packers can kind of go about the process this year that they did with that pick as, you know, kind of broad, broaden their search a little bit, cast like a little bit wide net, get some guys that they really like, and if they're up the board by the time the Packers are on the clock at number 12, or if they pull, you know, if they pull off some crazy crazy nonsense and they trade their pick, whatever. Um, you know, wh- whoever's there that they really like, that they've already, you know, kind of held under their own umbrella that they want to bring in, then they're going to have their own little crop to choose from. And like you mentioned before the show, they 
seemed like they were going to choose between Tremaine Edwins, Jari Alexander, and Derwin James. And James was off the board by Alexander's pick. I believe Edmonds was as well. It ended up being Alexander. And they also netted that extra first-round pick in the process. So if, if Gutekinds can go into this draft, uh, and keep in mind, too, that, that was his first draft. You know, that was his very first draft as a Packers general manager. So obviously he has, you know, a little bit of, not a learning curve, but, you know, he's, he's got to get his feet wet. And I think going into the second year, he's going to have Matt LaFleur in his year. He's going to have Mark Murphy, who just doesn't, he doesn't seem like Mark Murphy anymore. He seems like just like, like a total carbon copy of him that's like a little bit more vulgar than before. But you know, <laughs> I, I, I think I think they, they recognize that this, you know, this team – is right there. Like they, for large parts of last season, they were so damn close to putting it all together so many times in the first like two months of the year, and they just couldn't do it. They they imploded, and the season ended up six nine and one. So seeing how close they were, and seeing that there's going to be a new voice with Aaron Rodgers, there's going to be. A new offensive coordinator, no more McCarthy. They're doing away with the McCarthy era. You know, this team is moving forward. It's it's a transitional period, but that transition is a lot easier, like I said, when you already have some of the pieces in place. Packers just, you know, they've gotten they've gotten by so many times with like undrafted guys filling in some, you know, filling into spots, and I feel like if they just if they use free agency, they use the draft to kind of do what they need to do. You can afford to get by with filling in some spots with undrafted guys or, you know, late, late spring free agent signings. You know, some of the guys at the bottom of the barrel. You know, you never know who's going to find, who you're going to find that's going to be the best fit for your team. So there's going to be a lot of options out there for the Packers, and I think they realize that they need to capitalize on those options. Yeah, I think it's fair to say it wasn't a perfect offseason for Gutekunst. I don't think there's such a thing. Uh, I don't think that he's this massive upgrade to what Ted Thompson was, even in Ted Thompson's later stages. He definitely made some mistakes. Uh, but I thought he did relatively well for somebody that was brand new to the job. And you could at least argue maybe hindered a little bit uh, by Mark Murphy. I don't know how much that sh- new structure is going to matter. I think we'll see more as this process plays out for how much it matters. Um but I, I'm not wringing my hands over that just yet, even though I will be the first to admit during Matt LaFleur's uh, introductory press conference, I was screaming at my telephone for Mark Murphy to shut the hell up because I didn't really care to hear him talk. Not that Murphy's – I mean, Murphy's been a cool dude. Anytime, I've met him a couple times. He's been cool for those things. I think he's an interesting guy. It's just this press conference is about Matt LaFleur, and I wanted to hear more from Matt LaFleur. I <coughs> If it was a 45-minute press conference, which is about what it was, I don't need 15 of those minutes to be sucked up by Mark Murphy. I'm not real worried about those sorts of things. Zach, we're running short on time here. I don't want to give grades to Gutekunst's first year because I don't think that's fair to do, uh, like I mentioned, for various reasons. However, let's have a little bit of fun here. You can have – you are now Brian Gutekunst, so you are infinitely more handsome than you are right now. So congratulations for that. Um I'll take it. You are sitting in the chair. You are sitting in his chair. It is free agency opens and draft day opens. Who are you picking 12th overall as of January 17th? And what free agent are you signing to get the Packers back on top? You know, I do not know how to pronounce his name, his first name at least, but Jachai, Jachai, Polite, 
Florida pass rusher, yeah. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he's from, he's from Florida. He's the Florida Gator. But <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out one of these days how to, how to say that properly. Um, he would be my pick at number 12 over guys like, like Farrell and maybe even Ed Oliver. But that's that's a conversation for another day. Um, and if free, agent, if free agency opens up, first guy I'm going after, not, not, not a barn burner, not, not a guy that's going to set the league on fire or anything, but... LaMarcus Joyner, because I think he would be a great fit in Mike Kenton's defense, and I think he he would just fill he would fill a roster hole. You know, I don't I don't see the Packers pulling anything off like getting Lamp. Not that, not that I want it. Uh, I don't see them getting Earl Thomas, but you know, someone like LaMarcus Joyner who can come in and kind of fill that need and play sideline to sideline and just kind of really crash down and play multiple positions, I think that would be that would be a, a great signing. Well, way to pee all over my dreams here. I am now Brian Gutekunst, and I am also infinitely more handsome than I currently am, so that's good news there. That's impossible. Oh. <laughs> my <laughs> wife doesn't even say that, so I don't know, uh, but we'll worry about that later. Um I am sitting in the chair at 12th overall. I'm with you. Jachai Polite, and I may be butchering his name. I will. I promise I will know how to pronounce it by the time he is a Green Bay Packer. But speed rusher, uh, his athleticism I think is going to be very impressive. He's somebody that I think fits perfectly in Green Bay at 12th overall, and he should be available. I'm thinking of that as of January 17th, and this is more just for fun. So if I'm wrong, make fun of me, whatever. I don't really care. Uh, if I'm sitting there in my chair as a free agency opens, you mentioned LaMarcus Joyner. I'm going after Earl Thomas. Uh, I think that you know a lot of people think that it's set in stone that he's going to be a Dallas Cowboy. I don't see how that's possible. They have to pay Dak Prescott. They have to pay Amari Cooper. They have to pay Demarcus Lawrence. Where in the hell are they getting money for Earl Thomas in that scenario? He fills that hole perfectly. He has played in a defense coached by, not coordinated by, but coached by Mike Pettin before. Pettin was in Seattle a couple years ago as a consultant, so he's familiar with Mike Pettin. Mike Pettin's familiar with Earl Thomas, and Earl Thomas may very well be the best free safety I have ever personally seen uh, with all due respect to the late, great Sean Taylor. Those are the two guys who I would be to. Oh, Ed Reed. <laughs> I, I lied. Ed Reed's the best free safety I've ever seen play, but after those guys, uh, after Ed Reed, it's those two guys. Uh, so my apologies to Ed Reed. If you're listening to the show, please don't hurt me. Uh, you are the best that I have ever seen play. I promise that. But I'm on Earl Thomas, uh, and I'm on Jachai Polite, just like that with you as well. That is the end of this version of the show. We definitely went over time, but there was a lot to discuss. Brian Gutekunst is the new general manager of the Green Bay Packers. He just finished his first season and has a huge offseason in front of him. want to thank everybody for listening to this show. Follow the show on Twitter. It's at Packaday Podcast. Uh, you can follow me personally. I am at Jacob Westendorf. I want to talk to you guys about the Cheesehead TV Draft Guide. Guys, it's it's newsstand material. It's really good every year. I learn so much from all the other guys. There's a lot of great people doing some stuff on there. And then there's me who's doing the tight ends this year. So I'm very excited to do that. It's something new for me. Zach, where can we find you? And are you doing anything with the Draft Guide as well? Uh, unfortunately, no, because I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't consider myself, you know, one of the draft buffs like you know Ross Uglum and all those guys. Those guys are the ones that you know, really need, really, you know, put all their work into this. And someone like me would just cramp their style. So 
you guys really want to find me on Twitter, uh, I'm Zach A. Jacobson. You can also find me at Cheesehead TV. And, uh, yeah, do what Jacob said and pay attention to everything that's happening with the draft guide because every year they bust their asses on this and it always comes out. The finished product, product is amazing. I, I can't express that enough. Yeah, I can tell you that the, the period of time when we're going through watching all the film and evaluating, it, it's a grind, but the finished product is definitely worth it. And, Zach, there's one more bit of information that I have on a personal side uh, that we have both noticed on the tweeter machine, but mm-hmm. I found out last week that I am going to be a dad. I don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl yet, uh, but we're hoping for a healthy baby sometime next September. But, yes, we have our first ultrasound here in two weeks, and I'm excited for those things. So thank you guys for your support on those things. Uh, I've appreciated that very much over the last couple weeks, but that's very exciting. Um, Thank you guys for listening in, and as we always finish with, Go Pack Go! minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast